This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus another busy patch Tuesday, FBI cyber crime stats released for 2019, and 10 easily recognizable signs your healthcare provider is not HIPAA compliant. This is episode 17. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nawash Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nawajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right. Thanks for everybody listening to the podcast yet again this week, as this is episode 17, as you're probably already been made aware um i do appreciate all the listeners that we have already and if you could share it with other people that'd be great you know we try to bring you the latest so that you're up to date and so that you're protected your business is protected and you're ready for what's coming next um so thank you for that if you could show us some love on apple or google Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to this on that would be really great and um you know, I would sh- maybe I'll shout you out if you give us a review on Apple or Google. I'll shout you out on the sh- on the uh, podcast. Uh, but if you want more on HIPAA compliance, and you're a healthcare provider or an IT provider that provides uh, business associate type HIPAA compliance stuff. Um, you can also join the Facebook group. It's HIPAA compliance. It's Get HIPAA Compliance on Facebook. Just search for Get HIPAA Compliance, and um, we update that all the time. Now, Patch Tuesday, um, very busy Patch Tuesday yet again this month. I reported last week that Google Chrome should be updated to Google Chrome 80.0.3987.87. And there is also a critical Cisco flaw that should have been updated last week for, for CD PWN flaw that breaks network segmentation. So you'll want to take care of those. In addition, this week, we have, of course, Microsoft updates that I'll review in a moment. Intel released some security updates. Adobe released some security updates, the the biggest ones being for Adobe Acrobat and Reader and Flash Player if you're still using it, but there are others, so you'll want to review those. And Mozilla released a security update for multiple products, um, including Firefox, Firefox ESR, and Thunderbird. Um, So if you still use Thunderbird, you'll want to get that updated. Now, for the Microsoft, it, uh, in total, there were 99 um, flaws that were addressed, including an, an Internet Explorer Zero Day, yet another Internet Explorer Zero Day. So you'll want, um, you want to update, you'll want to apply those Microsoft updates as soon as possible. So it's been, you know, f- as you're listening to this, it's been three days already. You'll want to take care of them ASAP. And uh, for the critical flaws, we have Microsoft Scripting Engine. Um, we see this quite often. And what else do we have here? We have a critical flaw in Remote Desktop Protocol. Again, Remote Desktop Client Remote Code Execution Vulnerability. Remote Desktop Client, again, um, Remote Code Execution Vulnerability in Hyper-V. 
Media Foundation Memory Corruption Vulnerability in Windows Media, and an LNK Remote Code Execution Vulnerability in Windows Shell. Those are the critical flaws, and of course there's an Internet Explorer Zero Day, um, and then there's some important and uh, other updates that you'll want to ap apply ASAP. So test it, get it rolled out, protect your business. That's going to do it for Patch Tuesday update. I don't have any questions of the week sent in this week, so we'll move on to the news. All right, so let's start out with, uh, I reported in the introduction that there was some FBI crimes, cyber crime stats released, and so I'm going to go through those. Real quick, we have BEC scams accounted for $1.7 billion in 2019, half of all of the cybercrime losses for 2019. So that means everything else, ransomware, phishing, and everything else uh, was equivalent to BEC scams. So in case you're not aware, BEC is when um, a, a lot of times it's a municipality, but it could be a business, re receives an email that... Uh, I guess you could say spoofs a business. So they claim to be a business that um, that municipality or that business works for um, and then says something along the lines, you know, we're changing our bank information. This is our new bank information. If you could forward payments to this bank account. And then, of course, uh, somebody unwittingly sends the money to, to this new bank account and it turns out it was not the business at all. BEC is short for Business Email Compromise um, and counted for $1.7 billion in cyber cyber loss last, last year. Um, that, again, is half of the total cyber crime loss for 2019, the other half being ransomware and other cyber scams. Um, ransomware attacks have cost U.S. healthcare organizations over $157 million since 2016. And I saw another report today that they believe that number is going to dramatically increase for 2020. Operational technology attacks increased by over one over 2,000 percent in 2019. That that was revealed by IBM. This is going to continue, folks. There is going to be until it's not profitable. These attacks are going to continue, and they're going to get worse. Um, we have Chinese. Tech giant Huawei can reportedly access the networks it helped build that are being used by mobile phones around the world. It's been using backdoors intended for law enforcement for over a decade. The Wall Street Journal reported Tuesday, citing U.S. officials. The details were disclosed to the U.K. and Germany at the end of 2019, after the U.S. had noticed access since 2009 across 4G equipment, according to the report. Also, another note: Altice, which uh, bought out Cablevision a few years ago. Offered, uh, suffered a data breach in November of 2019 through phishing attacks. It was determined in January that one of the accounts compromised included a report that was password protected. That report included names, employment information, social security numbers, date of birth, and in some instances, driver's license numbers. They did not state how many people were included in that breach, but numerous ex-employees ex -employees were sent notification. Um, so that... Uh, you know, that, that could be a little disheartening if you haven't worked there in years and now you are now subject to a potential data breach. Um, Emotet hacks nearby Wi-Fi reported this earlier this week, but Emotet, Emotet 
malware is now capable of hacking nearby Wi-Fi networks to spread to new victims. Um, this is the another perfect reason to not use public Wi-Fi or guest Wi-Fi hotspots in a business um, because this is the this is the way it's going to spread. This is one way it's going to spread. It, it spreads, you know, a bunch of different ways. But a recently spotted Emotet Trojan sample features a Wi-Fi worm module that allows the malware to spread to new victims connected to nearby insecure wireless networks, according to researchers at Binary Defense. This newly discovered Emotet strain starts the spreading process by using WLAN API.dll calls to discover wireless networks around an already infected Wi-Fi-enabled computer and attempting to brute force its way in if they are password protected. So if this is not a case to use a hotspot, your own personal hotspot, then I don't know what is. Um, Dell Support Assist reported earlier this week as well. Uh, there's a bug with Dell Support Assist that uh, there is a patch for it, so you'll want to update that immediately if you're still using it. I um, will tell you that we disable that on Dell computers because it is also resource-intensive software and there's other ways to so Dell support assist is used to um, advise on any issues that may exist as far as software is concerned any Dell software that needs to be updated um, so you'll I again we disable it on all our computers you should be on Dell support assist version 2.1.4 for business PCs and Dell support assist version 2 uh, 3.4.1 for home PCs they, those will fix the vulnerability uh, I guess I should have reported that in the Patch Tuesday update, but I did not, so here you have it. Um, Ragnar Lock Locker Ransomware targets MSP enterprise support tools. And I don't like to beat up on MSPs because, you know, I own an MSP, but it's important that we are aware that the world is aware. Ransomware called Ragnar Locker is specifically targeting software commonly used by managed service providers to prevent their attack from being detected and stopped. Attackers first began using the Ragnar Locker Ransomware towards the end of December as part of attacks against compromised networks. When the attackers first compromise a network, they will perform reconnaissance and pre-deployment tasks before executing the ransomware. According to the attackers, one of these pre-deployment tasks is to first steal a victim's file and upload it to their service. They then tell the victim that they will release the files publicly if a ransom is not paid. Also, all of your sensitive and private information were gathered, and if you do if you decide not to pay, we will upload it for public view. The attacker state in the Ragnar locker ransomware. So you can imagine uh, they don't want to have to deal with this. The, the MSPs don't want to have to deal with this. So what does that mean? They're more likely to pay. Uh, Bleeping Computer has seen various ransom notes for Ragnar locker with ransom demands ranging from two hundred to $600,000. And so here are some of the programs that it is targeting. VSS, SQL. MTOS, that's, I'm sorry, MEMTAS, M-E-M-T-A-S, M-E-P-O-C-S, I'm not sure what that is, Sophos, Veeam, Backup, Pulseway, LogMe, LogMeIn, ConnectWise, Splashtop, and Kaseya. So some of the bigger names in the industry are being targeted. ConnectWise, Kaseya, LogMeIn, these are big names. Uh, Sophos is a big name. So um, these are things to keep an eye out for, especially if you're an MSP. It's uh, it's time to... to uh, Eat the vegetables that you're dishing out every day. Windows Server 2008 servers don't boot after KB4539602. I'm see, I've seen a few reports for this. This is on Bleeping Computer. I've seen a few reports, and this does impact Windows 7 as well. So if you have KB4539602 installed, you are not able to um, 
to um, boot up after that update in Windows Server and Windows Server 2008 and Windows 7. There is a fix on official fixes. There's two fixes uh, according to the article on Bleeping Computer. So um, hop on over to Bleeping Computer. It'll be a link in the show notes and get the uh, the fix if you are impacted by that. Now you should not be on Windows 7 or Windows Server 2008 anymore because they're no longer supported, but that's neither here nor there. And then finally, U.S. charges Chinese military hackers for Equifax breach. Also reported on Bleeping Computer earlier this week, the U.S. Department of Justice announced today that four members of the Chinese People's Liberation Army, PLA 54th Research Institute, were charged for hacking the credit reporting agency Equifax in 2017. On January 28, 2020, a federal grand jury in Atlanta returned an indictment alleging that Wu Xiang, Wang Qin, Zhu Qi, and Liu, Liu Lei broke into Equifax's computing systems and stole sensitive information, sensitive personal information of nearly half of all U.S. citizens and Equifax trade secrets. Under the global settlement agreed upon with the FTC, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and 50 U.S. states and territories on July 22nd, Equifax said that it will spend up to $425 million to help the breach victims. Um, and it goes on to explain the details, but we've seen the details of the Equifax hack multiple times now. So no need to rehash that. I will say, again, um, this is partly the fault of Equifax because they were not following security best practices as it relates to protecting servers and and, uh, client information. So the settlement was agreed upon a couple of weeks ago. I think January 22nd was the date. And so if you planned on applying for, you know, whatever remediation to have uh it's too late now and last bit of news for the week on threat post puerto rico government hit by 2.6 million dollar phishing scam it's actually is a bec scam so again bec we talked about is business email um, compromise and phishing scam has swindled a puerto rico government agency out of more than 2.6 million dollars according to reports according to reports the email-based phishing scam hit puerto rico's industrial development company which is a government-owned corporation aimed at driving economic development to the island along with local and foreign investors the agency reportedly received an email alleging to change alleging a change to a banking account tied to remittance payments which is a transfer of money often by a foreign worker to an individual in their home country the agency sent this payment to a fraudulent account on January 17th. It's a very serious situation, extremely serious. Manuel Oboy, executive director of the agency, told the Associated Press, we want it to be investigated until the last consequences. The agency filed a police complaint on Wednesday regarding the scam, but further questions regarding how the scam was discovered, whether the agency operations have been impacted, and more still remain. ThreatPost has reached out to the industrial development company for further details. Uh... So it continues to happen, and we need to be careful. There should be some type of verification in place when these things come up. That's going to wrap it up for the news for the week. All right, so our first hot topic for the week uh, saw this earlier in the week thought it would be interesting to discuss because it is a a very sensitive topic and as i saw it on sophos naked security website 
Facebook encrypted messaging will create hiding places for child abuse. Um, that is a, a, a very hot topic in, in our world today. Um, it is something that um, I believe is important to discuss, especially if you have children. And it's important for parents to understand the dangers that exist. So it is something that I educate families on. When I get a chance, I do try to. And, um, you know, I'm working through the seminars that I'm scheduling out for the year. So this will probably be probably be at least one, maybe two this year on this topic alone. But last year, Facebook announced that it would stitch the technical infrastructure of all of its chat apps. That means Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram together so that users of each app can talk to each other more easily. Now, I will say Instagram's messaging is, is kind of behind the other two. The plan includes slathering the end-to-end encryption of WhatsApp, which keeps anyone, including law enforcement and even Facebook itself, from reading the content of messages onto Messenger and Instagram. At this point, Facebook Messenger supports end-to-end encryption in secure connections mode, a mode that's off by default and has to be enabled for every chat. Instagram has no end-to-end encryption on its chats at all. So those of you that think it's secure at this point, it's not, but that's not what we're here to discuss. As you would expect, there's a lot of discussion and debate as we begin the long process of figuring out all the details of how this will work. Facebook has said, including, of course, the fact that law enforcement would be shut out of viewing messages on yet more chat apps. That discussion now includes an open letter signed by 129 child protection organizations around the world and sent to CEO Mark Zuckerberg on Thursday. Mark, it's hard to be king, isn't it? The groups led by the UK's National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, NSPCC, are urging the company to stop its plans until sufficient safeguards are in place. According to news outlets that have seen the letter, it says that Facebook could be building on years of sophisticated efforts to protect children online, but it's instead inclined to blindfold itself. More from the letter, we urge you to recognize and accept that an increased risk of child abuse being facilitated on or by Facebook is not a reasonable trade-off to make. Children should not be put in harm's way either as a result of commercial decision or design choices. The NSPCC said in December 2019 that police in the UK recorded over 4,000 instances, an average of 11 per day, where Facebook apps were used in child abuse image and online sexual offenses during the prior year. That is, uh, that's a little scary. The group warned that end-to-end encryption on all of its messaging apps will allow child abuse to go undetected unless Facebook first puts clear safeguards in place saying that encrypted messaging creates hiding places for child abuse. The platform will no longer be able to see and report illegal content to law enforcement, so police will be left working in the dark. More serious child abuse will likely take place on Facebook-owned apps as accusers as abusers won't have to move their victims off the platform to other encrypted ones to groom them. Government pushback against encryption, while some digital rights groups have applauded Facebook's move to a stronger encryption, some governments, those of the U.S., Britain, and Australia, have not. In December 2019, a select committee of members of U.S. Congress told Facebook and Apple that they had better put backdoors into their end-to-end encryption or laws will be passed that force tech companies to do so. So that's going to be a big battle. In other open letter, the child protection groups told, oh, I'm sorry, in Thursday's open letter, okay, hold on, I lost my spot here. 
Yeah, in the open in their open letter, the child protection groups told Facebook that they recognize users' legitimate interest in ensuring that their data is protected, but that doesn't negate the platform's responsibility to help in investigations. However, as you yourself have stated, Facebook has responsibility to work with law enforcement and to prevent the use of your sites and services for sexual abuse. In January, the UK's Information Commissioner, Officer ICO, for short published a code to ensure that online companies protect kids from harm, be it showing kids suicidal content, grooming by predators, illegal collection, and uh, profiteering off of children's data, or all the smart toys and gadgets that enable children's locations to be tracked for creeps to eavesdrop on them. In Thursday's open letter to Facebook, child protection groups urged Facebook to back off of its encryption plans until safeguards for children's safety are in place. And so here's Facebook's response. David Miles, Facebook's head of safety for Europe, the Middle East and Africa, said in a statement that encryption does, in fact, protect people. Strong strong encryption is critically important to keep everyone safe from hackers and criminals, and that Facebook will work on protecting children online as part of the long slog to getting end-to-end encryption everywhere. The rollout of end-to-end encryption is a long-term project. Protecting children online is critically important to this effort, and we are committed to building strong safety measures into our plans. Miles said that Facebook is already working with law enforcement, government, and tech companies to keep children safe online. Not the first time, not the first letter Facebook's received in October 2019. Three governments warned Facebook that it had better end or at least pause its encryption on everything plan. U.S. Attorney General William Barr and law enforcement chiefs of the U.K. and Australia signed an open letter calling on Facebook to pause it until it figures out a way to give law enforcement officials backdoor access so they can read messages. No, Facebook said, with all due respect to law enforcement and its need to keep people safe. Facebook responded by releasing its own open letter penned in response to Barr. In the letter, WhatsApp and Messenger heads Will Will Cathcart and Stan Chudnovsky said that any backdoor access into Facebook's product created for law enforcement would weaken security, let in bad actors, and would exploit that access. That's why Facebook has no intention of complying with Barr's request that the company make its products more accessible, they said. So uh, this is interesting because it really shows both sides of the coin here. We want privacy. We don't want our data to be out there. Um you know, and, and Facebook's come under fire already several times for for privacy concerns. And at the same time, we want to keep children safe online. Um, I, you know, until I saw this, the stat there for um, how, many, how many times they've found these incidents on Facebook in the UK, I wasn't aware because I don't think too many children are actually on Facebook. I know, you know, maybe Instagram to some degree, but they're on other apps, and we need to be looking at other apps even more carefully, TikTok, Snapchat, and I'm sure there's tons of other apps that are out there where children are using them more frequently than you're using Facebook, but I, I understand as a father myself, I completely understand where where these groups are coming from, um, so I'd be interested to hear what, what you guys think, you know, leave me a comment on the website or uh, shoot me an email, however you want to communicate with me, um, feel free. Uh, I be really would be interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, all right, so next up, 10 easily recognizable signs that you're not HIPAA compliant. This really is directed at HIPAA uh, healthcare patients. So 10 signs that your healthcare provider is not HIPAA compliant. 
It's a blog post on watchtech.com. That's my, my company's website. It's nwhatech.com. It is the most recent blog post. There was some uh, social media images shared, um, and I didn't realize until after I posted, there was a couple of grammatical errors. So there's a new image on the blog post itself. If you want to, if you're so inclined to share that image out, feel free. So again, 10 signs that your healthcare provider is not HIPAA compliant. And the idea here is if you walk into your healthcare provider and recognize any of these things, you sh- this should raise a, a little bit of a red flag, some some bigger red flags than others. So when I visit a dentist, chiropractor, physician, psychologist, or any other healthcare provider, even the local pharmacist, I always look for obvious signs that they're in need of help with HIPAA. I do this because they're conversation starters. Obviously, this is the business I'm in, so I want to start these conversations because it could mean business. If there are obvious signs to a lack of HIPAA compliance, then I've come to the right place. Here's something to think about in today's high-tech world. HIPAA exists to protect healthcare patients. All businesses should put their best foot forward when it comes to protecting their clients' information. HIPAA is really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to cybersecurity. If you're only doing HIPAA, you're doing the bare minimum required to protect your patient's information, and it's not enough. Looking for signs that your healthcare provider is not doing the best to protect your most sensitive information should be just as important as not giving your social security number over the phone. Um, So here's the 10 things you can easily spot when you're at your doctor's office. First one, Windows 7 or 2008 still in the environment. If you happen to be at the receptionist desk and you happen to notice they're using Windows 7, you probably won't see server 2008 because servers are not usually in in eyeshot of patients. But if you see Windows 7, that should be the first sign um, they are not HIPAA compliant because Server, 2000, uh, Server 2008 and Windows 7 are no longer supported by Microsoft, which means they won't be getting patched, especially for security, which means security-wise they are no longer compliant. And let's remember that when it comes to HIPAA when it, and when it comes to your business security, HIPAA is really at the bottom rung of cybersecurity. If you're not even doing that, then your practice is not secure and you're risking your business, but you're also risking your patients who are your clients. You're risking their information being breached, uh, breached sorry, and the heartache that we'll have to that they will have to deal with. Now, this applies to really any business, but more so healthcare. Healthcare, four out of five data breaches are healthcare. Um, so if you're not doing, if you're not even willing to upgrade to Windows 10, you don't even need a new computer, most likely. But if you're not willing to do that, then you're really not taking care of your patients. Um, all of our patients were moved, uh, all of our clients were moved off of Windows 7, um, except for the, the, the clients we picked up in the last year. But any clients we've had for any length of time were moved off of Windows 7 three, at least three years ago. Windows 10, not patched or outdated software. So we had Patch Tuesday a couple of days ago, three days ago. Um, you know, you should be patched by the middle of next week. The latest, most will probably be probably patch over the weekend. Most ITs would do that. I typically patch on Friday nights. However, I did roll out my patches on Tuesday this week after testing it. So Windows 10 patches are outdated or you have outdated software. Maybe you haven't updated Java in a while. Maybe you haven't updated Adobe PDF readers. We just heard a few minutes ago that Adobe, there is an update for reader and, and Acrobat. Maybe you haven't, and Adobe products are also commonly compromised 
Um, so if you have them, update them when there's updates available. Maybe you haven't updated, hopefully you're not using Flash Player, but maybe you haven't updated Flash Player in a while. These are bare minimums. If you're not doing it, you're putting your patient's information at risk. Last week I shared 10 of the most exploited vulnerabilities are in some cases five to eight years old. All 10 were either Adobe Flash, Microsoft Office, Internet Explorer, or WinRAR. So three out of four were Microsoft, the other, uh, the other one was Adobe. Three, they're using free antivirus, and it's easy to spot free antivirus because there's always pop-ups saying, hey, buy, buy our, our paid version and get these features with it. If you're using free antivirus, for example, Vast Free or AVG Free or whatever other free antivirus that's out there today, if you're using any of these, you, they are not they are not doing the job that you want them to do, and they're not ensuring the security of your systems. Today, you need something that's a little more proactive. You need security software that doesn't wait for updates. Let's face it, if you're using a free antivirus program, updates are even less frequent than a paid antivirus. You need something that's anomaly-based, something that's going to look for things that aren't, aren't normally there. If you see a computer with AVG and it pops up with an ad, then it's free AVG. This would be a little disheartening to me. I would be concerned that the healthcare practice does not have your best interest. And, and to have a solid anti-malware security software does not cost that much. So the, the cost as an excuse is a poor excuse. Wi-Fi router shares guest Wi-Fi. It's easy to buy a Wi-Fi router and set up guest Wi-Fi now. Um, should not happen in any business, but especially healthcare. I know, or any compliance business, it should not, it's especially. I know most businesses offer guest Wi-Fi. It's available almost everywhere you go. I always tell people don't hop on just any Wi-Fi. If you are absolutely, if you absolutely need to use wireless on the road, have a hotspot with you. Most phones have hotspot capabilities now. Use that instead of public Wi-Fi or guest Wi-Fi. If you happen to notice, it's something I check anytime I walk into a business. And I do check to see how easy it is to be comp that business can be compromised because it's an important message to send to the business. There's a guest Wi-Fi on the same route as the inter internal Wi-Fi. This is a sign that a recent security analysis has not been conducted because any good IT consultant or compliance officer or both would say you need to segment your network. Internal Wi-Fi should only be available to the staff and not potentially exposed to the guest Wi-Fi. It's a little bit closer to being able to be easily compromised. The internal network needs to be segmented by utilizing a separate router and segmenting the network from the guest Wi-Fi. Five, using a free email account. This one I see all the time. And this is a pet peeve of mine. If, you, if you're in business, you should not be using a free email account for communicating with clients. It just looks unprofessional. Let's forget that for a minute, though. If you're using a free email account in a healthcare practice, it is not HIPAA compliant because they will not sign a business associate agreement. Google will sign one with a G Suite account, and it's a certain level of G Suite. I think it's, uh, it might be G Suite business, I think. I'm not sure. But it's a certain level of G Suite. Microsoft will sign one with an Office 365 account. They will not sign one with an Outlook.com account or a Gmail.com account. AOL, Yahoo, and all other free email account options will not sign a business associate agreement. And in most cases, they will also not offer encryption, which is important when you're sending email. You need encryption. Clipboard with a sign-in sheet. This one drives me nuts. I still see it here and there. Not as often, but my physician used to do this. You would walk in. There'd be a clipboard at the window. You'd put your name, the reason you're there, and who you're there to see and, and what time you got there. This is a HIPAA violation. I now have, you know, the, if there's 10 people that signed in before me, I now know why they're there, who they are, 
and um, the approximate time, I have enough information now to to compromise them. This is a clear HIPAA violation. Just walk away if you see this at this point. Number seven, no privacy screens. A dental practice I recently walked into had nobody at the reception desk and four computers unlocked. The computers had no privacy screens on them. I could see the schedules. I could see the names. I could see the all kinds of things. I took a picture of it to share with the practice. If you're able to see patient name schedules and why they're coming in to see the healthcare provider, this is a clear HIPAA violation. A member of the Facebook group I belong to shared an image of a pharmacist, a well-known chain, I won't say what chain, but it's a well-known chain who did nothing to protect the prescriptions waiting to be picked up. You were able to clearly see names, addresses, and the name of the prescription. There was no privacy wall or anything to protect this information. This falls into the same category. Number eight, private conversations with patients and staff in the waiting area. This happens all the time. I've walked into my kid's pediatrician and asked me to verify my name, address, phone number, and if any, any information has changed right at the front counter, just a few feet away from where people are waiting. There should be a separate area for conversations that are sensitive. This happens a lot in pharmacies. There should be a separate area where the pharmacist or the healthcare practice staff can have a conversation without other people being in earshot range, not the next cubby. Number nine, little to no physical security. If, they're, if they don't have locks, motion sensors, a locked room with all the files or cameras, they're not doing everything they can to protect paper files they may have for their patients. Here's why I mentioned this. On episode 64 of the Proactive IT Cybersecurity Daily, which I have linked in the blog post, I had to report two different practices in two different states that were burglarized. This wasn't a stolen laptop. They were not hacked, not phishing. They were burglarized. Somebody physically broke in. In one case, they did, they did steal healthcare files. In the other case, it does not appear that they did, but we don't know if they took pictures. We don't know what they were doing. It still happens. There still needs to be some level of physical security. Those files cannot be easily accessible to someone who breaks into the practice. If you walk in and you see the files right be there behind the front desk with no locks on them, no cameras, no additional security, that's a red flag. And then finally, no privacy disclosure. When you visit a doctor, you should be given a privacy disclosure the first time you visit and then every so often after that just as a refresher. They're not going to ask you to do this every time, but I believe they must do it at least once a year. They should have you sign a document explaining their privacy practices. This is part of HIPAA. They usually have you sign a document explaining their HIPAA practices too, as they should. If they don't do this, then I wouldn't use their healthcare practice because they're not taking your privacy seriously. So why is recognizing HIPAA compliance issues uh, important to you as a patient? If a healthcare practice is taking insurance and transmitting your information electronically to the insurance carrier, then they are supposed to be HIPAA compliant. If you see any of these in your healthcare practice, if you see any of these things, give us a call. We'll give them a call and ask them what's going on. All it takes is one call to HHS OCR and an investigation will be open. This could mean anything from financial fines or settlements to a corrective action plan to technical advice. No matter what the outcome of that call, it puts the healthcare practice on the OCR's radar. They don't want to be on the radar. Forget the OCR for a minute. They should want to protect the patient's data because they are in the business of caring for people. So... Be on the lookout for those things in your healthcare provider's office. And then finally, not to leave lawyers out, but lawyer f lawyers have been uh, kind of getting a spotlight on them the last few weeks. So this is on ABA Journal, abajournal.com. 
Hacking Group publishes full dump of law firm's data, another response to cybersecurity incident. <clears throat> Two law firms are grappling with the effects of recent cyber intrusions. The 11 lawyer of Texas law firm Baker Wotring had its data exposed by hackers, including fee agreements, diaries from personal injury cases. Um, that's according to law.com. A second firm, Wilson, Iser, Moskowitz, Edelman, and Dicker, responded to suspicious activity on its network by taking it offline, Law 360 reports. Law firm press releases here. There's a link to it. Wilson Elzer said, lawyers are accessing emails through a remote system. Its phone system is working and its offices are open. There is no indication at this point that any client data has been compromised, the firm said in February 10th statement. Baker Wotring's data, on the other hand, was exposed when in what the hacking group called Maze, which Maze we know, if you've listened to me on any of my podcasts, we know Maze is um, taking that data and exposing it if you don't pay up. So Maze called it a full dump. According to law.com, Maze hacks into targets and seizes their data, then it seeks to expose it unless a ransom is paid. Baker Wantring is one of the least, one of at least five law firms targeted by Maze since last month. In past incidents, Maze has sought ransom in the range of one to two million dollars. Um, I'm trying to remember if Southwire was Maze or if it was Soto Nukibi, and I believe it was Soto Nukibi. They are looking for six million dollars. Southwire being a, a, I guess, a manufacturer of wiring and so forth. Um, this is uh this, this seems to be I, I've been saying it for months now. The law firms are a target, and we haven't been seeing a lot of law firms in the news when it comes to ransomware. But this now we're starting to see a little bit more of it each each uh, week. Um, and it says one of at least five law firms targeted by Mays since last month. And so this is a problem. Law firms need to be ready for these types of things. You need to have business continuity and disaster recovery. We need to have ransomware mitigation. We need to have education. We need to have phishing mitigation. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, it's not just uh, throw an antivirus pro program on your computer and be done with it. That's not how it works these days. It just doesn't work that way anymore. Um, that is going to do it for our hot topics. Um, I hope Hopefully you guys find that useful and um, can apply it to your business, whatever it may be. It doesn't need to be a law firm or a healthcare practice in, in any business. You need to be be alert to what's out there and be ready to protect your business. For the HIPAA education piece this week, I decided to review a settlement from last year, the OCR settles second case in HIPAA right of access initiative. We did talk about in a previous episode the HIPAA right of access, which essentially states that if I ask for my healthcare records, the healthcare provider needs to provide it to me in a reasonable manner with reasonable costs, you know, like five or ten dollars, that's reasonable. Um, and in the, in the manner I want it to be in, and there shouldn't be any delays, uh, 30 days is, is the target date and 60 if the healthcare provider can provide a significant, a, a, um, good reason as to why it was delayed. So this case, this is OCR settled second case in HIPAA right of access initiative. This is from last year. This is Corundra medical, uh, LLC. And so the OCR announced this initiative 
earlier this year pr promising to vigorously enforce the rights of patients to get access to medical records promptly without being overcharged and in a readily producible format of their choice, which is uh, pretty much what I just said. So Corundra Medical did agree to a corrective action plan and pay $85,000 to settle a potential violation of HIPAA's right of access provision. Corundra is a Florida-based company that provides comprehensive primary care and interventional pain management to approximately 2,000 patients annually. Now, that is not a, a big healthcare provider. 2,000 patients is not a lot for a healthcare practice. Um, so let's read the press release from the OCR. The Office of Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is announcing its second enforcement action and settlement under its HIPAA right of access initiative. OCR announced this initiative earlier this year, promising to vigorously enforce the rights of patients to get access to their medical records promptly without being overcharged and a readily producible format of their choice. Corundra Medical LLC has agreed to take corrective actions and pay $85,000 to settle a potential violation of HIPAA's right of access provision. Corundra is a Florida-based company that provides comprehensive primary care and interventional, in, interventional pain management to approximately 2,000 patients annually. In March of 2019, OCR received a complaint concerning a Corundra patient alleging that despite repeatedly asking, Corundra failed to forward a patient's medical records in electronic format to a third party. Not only did Corundra fail to timely provide the records to the third party, but Corundo also failed to provide them in the requested electronic format and charge more than reasonably cost-based fees allowed under HIPAA. So they just basically violated every part of the right of access um, rules. OCR provided Corundo with technical assistance on how to correct these matters and close the complaint. Despite OCR's assistance, Corundo continued to fail to provide the requested records, resulting in another complaint to OCR. As a result, the OCR's second intervention, the requested records were provided for free in May of 2019 in the format requested. For too long, healthcare providers have slow walked their duty to provide patients their medical records out of a sleepy bureaucratic inertia. We hope our shift to the position of corrective actions and settlements under the right of access initiative will finally wake up health care providers to their obligations under the law, said Roger Severino, OCR director. He holds no punches. In addition to the monetary settlement, Corundo will undertake a corrective action plan that includes one year of monitoring. The resolution agreement is, uh, I'm going to go through, I'm going to skim it in a moment, but it is linked to this article, which is on hhs.gov. The uh, press releases. So let's let's dissect that for a moment. So first of all, Corundra failed to provide the medical records in electronic format to a third party. They failed to provide in a um, in the format that was requested and charged more than reasonably cost-based fees. So reasonably cost is how much does it cost to provide that record in labor and in you know, whatever format they request. So it's usually like five, it's nominal, five or $10. You know, when I need my kid, well, now when I need my kid's healthcare records, I just go uh, on the app that they, the healthcare provider provides. And um, before that, it was $5. Um, now, the OCR provided Corundra with technical assistance, and we've talked about this before. When the OCR provides technical technical assistance, that means you need to listen. You, you you got off with a slap on the wrist. They said, do this, and that'll be the end of it. And it's essentially what it says here, that they provided technical assistance on how to correct these matters and closed the complaint. The complaint was closed. So here's what you're going to do. Here's what you need to do. Get it done, and you won't see us again. 
Well, they didn't get it done because then they OCR received another complaint for the same issue, opened a second investigation, and found that the complaint was legitimate. And now you have a $85,000 fine. I don't know how big Corundra Medical. It doesn't sound like a very big operation. So $85,000 could be a fairly significant cost. And in addition, you have a one-year corrective action plan. That one-year corrective action probably costs you more than 85000 because now you're going to have to do everything the OCR says you need to get done. So implement a, a HIPAA program, make sure your technology is up to date, and um, they're going to watch over you, and they're going to set milestones and say this is what needs to happen over the next year. Um, it's fairly straightforward. It's, it's simply supply the, the record that the, the patient is asking for, and you're, you're out of the out of the woods, something that could have cost you a few dollars now cost you $85,000 plus one year of monitoring. And so silly, silly is an understatement, but it's silly. So then I have the resolution agreement here. And let's just look at what Roger Severino says for for too long, for too long, which means we've let these healthcare providers slip too long on some of these things. Healthcare providers have slow walked their duty to provide patients with their medical records out of a sleepy bureaucratic inertia. S essentially, he's saying they just felt like they didn't have to do it. You know, we'll just take our time and give the, give the patient a runaround. And who knows the reason behind it? Was it an incomplete record? Were they not documenting everything as they should? Do they just want to be difficult? Who knows? We hope our shift to the imposition of corrective actions and settlements under the right of access initiative will finally wake up healthcare providers to their obligations under the law. In other words, we're going to continue to enforce this. Do your part. The resolution agreement um, said, and, and this all happened within a two-month period, by the way. So between March and May of 2019, two months. In two months, you only get 30 days to supply the record. So within two months, you failed miserably. So on March 6, 2019, OCR received a complaint alleging Corunda Medical is not in compliance with the privacy rule. The complaint alleged Corunda refused to provide an individual with access to her protected health information in the requested format. On March 18, 2019, OCR provided Corunda Medical with technical assistance regarding the individual's right of access to protected health. So March 18th, remember that. So 14 days later, I'm sorry, 12 days later, they provided. So that's pretty quick. On March 22nd, now, four days later, OCR received a second complaint concerning Corundra's continued noncompliance with the requirements of the privacy rule concerning access, and that's 45 CFR 164.524. On May 8th, HHS notified Corundra Medical of its investigation of Corundra Medical's compliance with the HIPAA rules promulgated by the HHS pursuant to administrative simplification provisions of the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. Um... Part A, Corundra Medical failed to provide timely access to the protected health information from April 22nd to May 12th, and that's, you know, that's only 10 days, uh, tw uh, I'm sorry, 20 days. Um, and then the agreement is intended to resolve OCR transaction number 19-337386 and any violations of the HIPAA rules related to the covered conduct specified in paragraph 1.2. 
the, uh, I point to, sorry, this is the of this agreement in consideration of the party's interest in avoiding the uncertainty, burden, and expense of further investigation of formal proceedings. The parties agree to resolve this matter according to the terms and conditions below. So the, the, the payment is $85,000, as I said. There is a one-year cap corrective action plan, and then the, the details of that are in the agreement. Um, you know, they, they failed. Corinda Medical failed to do something as simple as provide a record. This is not a long agreement, so it's actually pretty pretty straightforward. They failed to provide the record, and here's some of the what they have to do under the corrective action. Within 60 calendar days of the effective date, Corinda Medical shall provide training materials regarding the individual's right of access to PHI consistent with 45. So now we're talking about education that costs money. Um, but you should have already been doing it, so it's not really an additional cost at that point. Within 30 calendar days of HHS's approval and annually, while under the term of the cap, Corona Medical shall provide training to all workforce members at its facilities on the privacy rule requirements concerning the individual's right of access to PHI. So it sounds like Corona Medical does have HIPAA in place. They just um, didn't do this for whatever reason. And I don't know what the reason is, it doesn't say. Within 90 calendar days of receipt of HHS's approval of the policies and procedures required by Section VA1, and every 90 calendar days thereafter, while under the term of this cap, Corona Medical shall submit to HHS a list of requests for access to PHI received. So now that's a little bit uh, outside of the normal scope. If Corona Medical denied any request for access in whole or in part, Corona Medical shall submit to HHS all documentation consistent with 45 CFR 164.524. Um, during the compliance term, Corona Medical shall, upon receiving information that a workforce member may have failed to comply with its access policies and procedures, promptly investigate this matter. If Corona Medical determines after review and investigation that a member of its workforce has failed to comply with these policies and procedures, Corona Medical shall notify HHS in writing within 30 calendar days. Such violations shall be known as reportable events. A complete description of the event including the relevant facts, the persons involved, and the provisions of the policies and procedures implicated, and a description of the actions taken and any further steps Corona Medical plans to take to address the matter to mitigate any harm and to prevent it from recurring, including application of appropriate sanctions against workforce members who failed to comply with its privacy rule policies and procedures. Within 120 days after the receipt of HHS's approval of the Policies and procedures required by Section VA1, Corona Medical shall submit a written report to HHS summarizing the status of its implementation requirements of this cap. So now that's a little bit, you know, that's outside of normal scope of HIPAA. So now you're, you're doing extra work. And a, an attestation signed by an owner of officer of Corona Medical attesting that policies and procedures approved by HHS and Section VA are being implemented. An attestation signed by an officer or owner of Corona Medical attesting that all members of the workforce have completed the initial training. And an attestation signed by an owner or owner or officer of Corona Medical stating that he or she has reviewed the implementation report, has made a reasonable inquiry regarding its content, and believes that upon such inquiry the information is accurate and truthful. And then there's some annual reporting um, and document retention that they have to maintain all these documents for six years. So something to think about, six years data retention for HIPAA. And uh, goes on to talk about some breach provisions. So, um, you know, all this because you fail to supply a record to a patient, it's uh, it's really a simple fix, and it's really not complicated to provide a record as long as the record exists. So, 
Hopefully that helps some healthcare providers and or patients because patients need to know these things too. And that is going to wrap it up for the HIPAA education piece. We're going to move on to our breach report. All right, we have a lot of HIPAA breach news to report this week. Um, so let's get re get on the weekly breach report. First, let me start by saying February 29th, which is uh, just over two weeks away, 15 days away from the time this is recorded. Um, that is the cutoff date for reporting any breaches for 2019. Obviously, that's 60 days from the end of the year, and you have 60 days. That is the breach report rules. It is 60 days to report any breach that you may have had if you're in, if you're covered under HIPAA. Um, so let's just get into it. The first one was actually Friday, and I'm not sure if I reported this last week, so I'm going to report it now. Health share of Oregon notifies 654,000 members about business associate data breach. And I did mention, I've mentioned this a few times now, um, the OCR is, is planning to have target business associates in more enforcement related stuff so you can bet that this is going to be one of them except there's one minor detail that might be a problem so i'll get to that oregon's medicaid coordinated care organization health share of oregon is notifying notifying approximately 654,000 current and former members that some of their protected health information was stored on a laptop computer stolen from its transportation vendor gridworks so here's where it's a problem. So that laptop, obviously, if it's reported, means it's not encrypted. If it was encrypted, then that's the end of the story right there. We don't even have to report. But it was not encrypted. They don't know what data was on that laptop, so they're going to err on the side of caution and report that potentially 654,000 records were exposed. The laptop was stolen in a burglary at Gridworks office in November of 2019. Gridworks did notify HealthShare about the laptop theft on January 2nd. HealthShare started sending notification letters on February 5th to all individuals whose PHI was stored on the laptop. Affected individuals have been offered one year of complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. So that is, um, that's going to be costly. And so this is what we say when we, when we say there are hidden costs, not really hidden, but there are additional costs beyond a HIPAA fine. So that's going to cost a, a, a shiny nickel. Um, HealthShare conducts, so HealthShare was actually doing their job. They do conduct security audits and did conduct one on Gridworks on March of 2019. And in response to the breach, HealthShare will expand its vendor security audit program and steps have been taken to ensure only the minimum amount of patient information is tran transmitted to its vendors. Training policies have also been enhanced. Um, the other part of that is that um, they are no longer using Gridworks uh, for their for their rideshare program. They're using another company. Um, and I can't see it here, but Gridworks has ceased operations as of December. So I don't know what that means as far as any potential HIPAA settlements or fines or or um, corrective action plans. It'll be interesting to see what comes of that. And it may be a little while before we hear anything. Hop Hospital Sisters Health System email breach impacts 16,167 patients. 
Hospital Sisters Health System has recently discovered an email security breach in August of 2019, potentially resulted in unauthorized individuals gaining access to emails and email attachments containing the protected health information of 16,167 patients. Hospital Sisters Health System is a 15-hospital health system serving patients in Illinois and Wisconsin. Between August 6th and August 9th of 2019, unauthorized individuals gained access to the email accounts of several employees. Prompt action was taken to secure the affected email accounts by changing passwords, and a leading computer forensic firm was retained to investigate the breach and determine whether the compromised accounts contained patient information. These firms should be brought in beforehand, not after him. And this goes to the to the uh, fact that healthcare practices spend more on marketing after a breach than they do in trying to prevent the breach. On December 2nd, Hospital Sisters Health System was informed that patient information had potentially been accessed by the attackers. The compromised email accounts were found to contain patient names, birth dates, and a limited amount of clinical information. Some patients also had their health insurance information, social security number, and or driver's license number exposed. On January 31st, Hospital Sisters Health System started emailing notification letters to all affected patients. So here's another failure because they knew about the breach in August 6th or they knew about it in August 2019, so five months ago, and they did not follow breach reporting rules. Now, I understand you're going to say, well, they didn't know until December 2nd that patients were were uh, compromised, but that's not how it works. Once, once you have identified that you've been breached, you're supposed to notify any potential victims. Um, a slew of email security breach reported by healthcare organizations, so I think there was five total... So I'm just going to go through the list real quick. Real quick, email account breach reported at Shields Health Solutions. Shields Health Solutions in Staunton, Mass, based provider of specialty pharmacy services to hospitals and other covered entities, has discovered an unauthorized individual gained access to the email account of an employee and potentially viewed copied protected health information. Suspicious activity was detected in the email account of an employee on October 24th, assisted by a cybersecurity firm. Shields Health Solutions determined an unauthorized individual access the account between October 22nd and October 24th. The breach was confined to a single email account. The email account contained messages and attachments that included patient names, dates of birth, medical record numbers, provider names, clinical information, prescription information, insurer names, and limited claims information. No evidence was uncovered that suggests patient information was accessed or copied. Um, Lafayette Regional Rehabilitation Hospital email breach impacts 1,360 patients. So Lafayette Regional Rehabilitation Hospital in Lafayette, Indiana, has discovered an unauthorized individual gained access to the email accounts of an employee in July of 2019 and potentially viewed patients' protected health information. The breach was detected on November 25, 2019, pro- prompting a thorough investigation to determine whether any patient information has been accessed by unauthorized individuals. No evidence was found to indicate patient information was viewed or copied. Isn't that amazing that that's never found? But it was not possible to rule out the possibility. The compromised account was found to contain names, dates of birth, and clinical and treatment information related to medical services received at the hospital. A limited number of patients also had their social security number exposed. 6,524 individuals impacted by phishing attack on MHMR of Tarrant County. My Health, My Resources, MHMR for short, of Tarrant County in Fort Worth, Texas, has experienced a phishing attack involving the email accounts of a small number of its employees. The phishing attack was detected on December 3rd. 
The investigation revealed the accounts were accessed by an unauthorized individual between October 12th and October 14th. Emails in the account were found to include names, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, and some other information about the care received at MHMR. It was not possible to determine whether patient information was viewed and no information has been received to suggest that any patient information has been used, misused. Out of the abundance of caution, all individuals whose information was stored in emails in the compromised accounts have been notified by mail. Individuals whose social security number or driver's license number was exposed have been offered complimentary, complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. So let's just say for a I'm just going to pause here for a second, 6,524 accounts. Let's say, I don't know, a thousand of them had that information in there times a hundred dollars a year. Um, I think is the average cost for credit monitoring. Um, and I could be off, but you know, now you're looking at a hundred thousand dollars just for that. Reva phishing attack impacts 1000 patients, medical transportation service provider. And we're, we're seeing more of these lately has announced that protected health information of approximately a thousand patients has potentially been accessed by an unauthorized individual as a result of a phishing attack. Suspicious Suspicious activity was detected in the email account of an employee on September 12th. The account was secured and an investigation was launched, which revealed further email accounts had also been compromised. Those accounts had been subjected to unauthorized uh, access between July 23rd and September 13th. Review of the compromised accounts revealed that they contained patient names, travel insurance information, dates of service, limited clinical information, passport numbers, driver's license numbers, and a small number of social security numbers. It's funny how it's always a small number of social security numbers. Complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services have been offered, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they did not meet the requirements for breach notification rules. So Lawrenceville Internal Medicine Associates and if multiple accounts were fished, then they obviously do not have multi-factor authentication turned on. They obviously have no phishing mitigation program in place. Lawrenceville Internal Medicine Associates email error exposed 8,031 patients' email addresses. Um, so this was uh, a little bit different, but Lawrenceville Internal Medicine Associates in Lawrence Township, New Jersey, is alerting 8,031 individuals about an email error that exposed patients in the email addresses. Basically, they sent email out, an email announcement out, but did not put the email addresses in the BCC field. Um, so additional training has been provided to the IT department. Email security policies had procedures and procedures have been strengthened. Um, so this one, not too tragic. You just got a bunch of email addresses if you paid attention. Sunshine Behavioral Health Group discovers PHI exposed over internet. Portland, Oregon, you based Sunshine Behavioral Health Group, a provider of business services to healthcare providers, has discovered a cloud-based system used to store patient information Patient health records was accidentally misconfigured. The misconfiguration allowed patient information to be accessed over the internet. The error was identified on September 4th, and access controls were immediately implemented to prevent the records from being accessed by unauthorized individuals. Further actions were taken on November 14th to remove the records from general internet access. On December 23rd, Sunshine Behavioral Health Group determined a folder in the cloud-based system contained information such as names, addresses, credit, debit, card numbers, expiration dates, security codes, and electronic digital signatures of individuals who had paid for healthcare services. The exposed data related to payers for medical services received at Monarch Shores Chapters Capistrano, Willow Springs Recovery, and Mountain Springs Addiction, Tr Addiction Treatment and Rehabilitation Centers. 
on uh, and then thieves stole patient information in Lake County behavioral health burglary. This is one of those ones that I was talking about uh, earlier when I talked about the 10, 10 uh, ways you can identify that your healthcare provider is not following a HIPAA compliance program. Lake County Behavioral Health in Clear Lake, California has announced it experienced a burglary on December 5th, 2019, and thieves stole a locked filing cabinet containing client health information. Stolen paperwork contained information such as patient names, contact telephone numbers, case numbers, medications, appointment dates, times and payments, and amounts due. One file contained a patient's date of birth, social security number, medical history, disability status, substance use history, income verification information, and Medi-Cal ID number. And then finally, Jefferson Center for Mental Health announces a potential breach of PHI. Sort of similar situation here. Jefferson Center for Mental Health, a nonprofit provider of community-focused mental health care and substance use services in Colorado, experienced a burglary at its Independence Corner facility in Wheat Ridge on November 29th. The burglary was discovered on December 2nd, 2019, and a break-in was reported to law enforcement. No paperwork containing patient information was taken by the perpetrators, but it's possible that the personal and treatment information of 1,319 patients was viewed by the thieves. And, you know, you can take pictures. Um, and then the, the last thing we're going to talk about today is uh, there were some more numbers released for 2019 healthcare data breach report. Uh, there was an increase of 37.47% of records breached between uh, from 2019 over 2018, increasing from 13,947, I'm sorry, 13,947,909 records in 2019 to 41,000,000. 335,889 in 2019. The number of healthcare breaches of 500 or more records, worst year on record, 510. Easily outdoes every other year. Um, 2018 was 371, and it's been a steady incline since 2015. Um, what other numbers do we have here? It, the largest data healthcare data breaches of 2019, the largest one being, uh, what is this, 11,500,000. That was Optum360. That was the one with Quest Labs. Uh, second biggest one, um, let's see what we got here, 10,251,784, Laboratory Corporation of America Holdings. That was LabCorp. And that was, uh, so that was uh, the first one, Optum, Optum 360 was, they're a business associate. Second one is a healthcare provider that was, both of those were hacking. Third one, Dominion Dental Services, Inc., Dominion National Insurance, which is a health plan that was uh, 2,964,000, so just short of 3 million. Cl that was also hacking. Clinical Pathology Labs, another lab, healthcare provider, uh, that was 1,733,836. That was unauthorized access and disclosures. Immediate health, uh, immediate, immediate, immediata, I'm not sure how to say that, immediata health group corp, which is a health care clearinghouse, 1,565,338. Also unauthorized access and disclosure. UW Medicine, healthcare provider, 973,024, hacking. Women's Care Florida, healthcare provider, 528,188, hacking. 
care-centric healthcare provider, 467,621 hacking, intramural practice plan, medical sciences, campus, University of Puerto Rico, healthcare provider, 439,753 hacking, bioreference labs, healthcare provider, 425,749 hacking. And then for that one, it doesn't say network server. The, other, the previous nine were network servers. This says other. And then, um, so that's the top 10. There's, it goes up to the top 20. And the majority of them were network servers. There's a few emails sprinkled in there. Um, but let's talk about this. Organizations affected by the 2019 AMCA data breach. That was the, the biggest one, the Optum 360, right? Optum. I keep saying Optimum. It's Optum. So you have Quest Diagnostics. LabCorp, Clinical Pathology, CareCentrics, Bioreference Labs, American Esoteric Labs, Sunrise Medical Labs, Inform Diagnostics, CBL Labs, Laboratory Medicine Consultant, Wisconsin Diagnostics, CompuNet Clinical, Austin Pathology, Mount Sinai Hospital, Integrated Regional Labs, Penobscot Community Health Center, Pathology Solutions, West Hills Hospital and Medical Center, Seacoast Pathology, Arizona Dermapathology, Laboratory of Dermatology, ADX, Western Pathology Consultants, Notera, and South Texas Dermapathology, LLC. Um, the HHS Office of Civil Rights assigns breaches to one of the five different categories, hacking IT incidents, unauthorized access, disclosure, theft, loss, and proper disposal. Improper disposal was 6, loss 15, theft 39, unauthorized access to disclosure 147, and hacking IT incident 303. Uh, that is, uh, That means we're not doing enough to protect the data. And the data breach locations, other portable electronic device 15, laptop 24, desktop 34, electronic medical records 39, other 52, Paper films, 61. Network servers, 132. And the clear winner here, email, 214. That uh, means there is a lack of phishing mitigation going on. States worst affected in order. Uh, I'll just do the top 10 here. Texas, California, Illinois, New York, Ohio, Minnesota, Florida, Pennsylvania, Missouri, and Michigan. And then we've already talked about the HIPAA enforcement, so I'm not going to go through that again. There was 10 HIPAA enforcements last year, ranging anywhere from 10,000, I believe was the smallest, all the way up to, uh, I believe, 3 million was the biggest this year, or 2019, I believe. Um, so that's all on HIPAAjournal.com. You can go read it there. That's a lot of records exposed this year. That is going to do it for the Proactive IT Podcast for this week. Episode 17 is all done. We hope we've provided you with tons of information to go about your day, your your busy week, and your technology and compliance life. Until next week, stay secure.